0: Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Dedicated to the evolution of you, because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be. Helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. To me, the only way change is going to happen in our world... Is when, as exhausting as it is, when the person's going through the list of the hundred excuses, and then when they get to the end, start over to muster that energy to end it. Hi, it's Joseph. Thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode is the third in a four part series about the link between remorse and personal accountability. Today we tackle the presidential office, the importance of squats, professional competence and responsibility, and how it all ties into the emotional landscape of feeling bad for something that happened. Yes, that sounds like a giant recipe for disaster, perhaps, because everybody always avoids squats, right? But seriously, there's quite a bit of correlation that goes together here that's important for anyone in a position of management. No matter where you stand on politics, it is important to understand how our current leadership offers many teachings about what a lack of personal accountability in a person of power looks like. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. So to summarize here, because the topic today is personal accountability, to, to summarize, part of personal accountability means proactively subjecting yourself to remorse. And if you mix up remorse and shame, you'll avoid it. That's sort of the summary here. That remorse, as bad as it feels, I don't know anything that feels emotionally more difficult than that. It's not humiliation. And again, we have to define the terms. I'm defining humiliation as being unjustly embarrassed, made to feel bad, unjustly, usually in a group of people. When someone is made to feel bad for what they did or who they are, unjustly, that's not good. I mean, it's just not true. And it makes people resent. But if you make someone feel bad and it's just because they dropped the ball or did something negative without going into shame, then that is positively correlated with productive behavior. In other words, it works. So you saw me kicking around the in the Slack channel trying to find a word for well, what do you call it it's when you make someone feel appropriately bad for what they did or didn't do. You, you'll you notice that we don't have many good words for that. Why? Because everybody is allergic to the shame factor. Nobody wants to go there. They don't see that remorsification is a positive thing because it feels so bad. Same way so many people who lift weights don't do squats when it's the single most important exercise for you to do in the gym that actually catalyzes all of the other exercises you do, increases your human growth hormone, Yada, yada, yada. But most people won't do them. And then when they do do them, they have terrible form. So remorse is the squats of the emotional world. Really good for you, but you avoid it like the plague. I uh, happened to see an an old Trump video yesterday um, while I was doing some research about this where he claimed to have the uh, biggest electoral college win in history. And uh, that's back in january february or something and a brave reporter nowadays he'd get he gets called on that i think a lot more but at that time a fairly brave reporter said actually that wasn't true that uh you know um the george the first george bush had more and i oh, know for, for first he say, he first he said obama had more which is true and and he said no no i meant the trump said i mean the, the republican for republican candidates and then the journalists who had done his homework said actually the first George Bush had this many and so it was just completely wrong and then Trump said well that's just the information I was told I was given that information right I'm not lying I'm just using the information somebody else gave me and they're accountable now I have I'm not naming them but they're accountable for the lie you see not me that's implicitly what's being said there and the, the poor journalist was trying to say, why should the American people trust you when you say these kinds of mistruths, and, which the president uh, didn't answer. And instead, he said uh, something like, and I've seen that information around. <laughs> so let's break this down. The president of the United States misrepresented or represented a number that wasn't true. When he was called on it, he shifted, said, well, I meant Republican, which he didn't say, but okay, maybe he meant that. That was also not true. Then said, well, that's just what was given to me. So it's not my responsibility, which begins to take some responsibility. At least it owns that it's not true. And then when the journalist says, well, how are American people supposed to trust you when this is the kind of stuff you say? he says, actually, I've seen that information around, reasserting the possible truth of it. And that was the interaction. Now, what I love about Trump is how beautifully and succinctly he's bringing these kinds of dynamics to the world attention. Because everybody does that kind of crap. He just does it in a caricature-like way. I wish the whole world would start saying, how am I like Trump? Look at those three fingers pointing back. That's how we all can really learn a lot from this. Because after all, about half the population elected the guy. So they must have felt some resonance. And not that the other half of the population is off the hook. So let us all gaze agape at what it looks like when a lack of accountability is combined with a lot of power. This is what it looks like. Now, let's talk about the journalist's responsibility in that moment, because to me, the journalist failed bigger than the, uh, than the president did in that moment. So the journalist was trying to ask this question, why should the American people trust you when you say things that aren't true like this? seems incisive, but in a courtroom they would there'd be an objection to that question on the grounds that it calls to speculate you guys know that objection somebody would say objection calls to speculate because how does he know what do you mean why should the American people trust you I don't like why should anybody do anything I'm just me you know that you could you could say you could go in a door of like okay well this is your chance to make a case for, I mean, he's basically trying to get the president to make a case for why people should trust them. It's sort of a trapping question because, you know, the, the president exhibited lots of things that are untrust, untrustworthy, but so does every politician. So does every president. You can look and find that anywhere. So it's kind of a bullshit question. What's the right question in that moment? What's an even more incisive, very answerable question to go down that road in that moment?
1: could have asked him what he would do in the future to prevent this type of error.
0: There you go, (laughs) right. Drill down more. You know, so the the last thing that I saw in the clip, and I believe that was the end of the interchange, was I've seen this information around. I'm confused, Mr. President. I've stated that what you said was factually untrue. Then you said that other people gave you that information. Now you seem to be asserting that it may be true because you've seen it around. I'm confused. Help me understand what's going on here. To corner him into deciding, is it true or not?
1: So vagueness is a huge problem with a lot of Trump statements. They They're vague. And then he circles back and like, you know, some of the rationales he provides rely on other things that aren't true. I mean, it's like a circular logic that all leads back to things that aren't true. It's I mean I can see how it would be maddening for the people who have to interact with it. I mean yeah. you're constantly having to work overtime to hold him accountable. Yes. To what he's saying or what evidence he's using or I mean yeah. I I'd, I'd quit honestly. <laughs> I'd be <laughs> even if I had all the best intentions of serving my country and, you know, being a civil servant and
0: being respectful know. of the office, right,
1: right. Trying to do my best to do my job. I think after, uh, yeah, probably six months in I've been like, I, I'm yeah. exhausted. I'm to go somewhere else where I can think clearly again.
0: <laughs> Maybe that, that's probably what was going on. I mean, that's sort of what the Senator from Arizona was speaking to in his resignation speak and speech in the last couple of weeks. How about this question? Mm-hmm. He, could have, he could have asked the president, what responsibility do you think you have to make sure that the statements that you make are true? Oof, love that. Love that. Do you feel how that, the, the, where we're going now, do you feel how it's tighter? It's more granular. The walls are closing in. And the, the reason I'm bringing this up and I would do it with any president, I promise. It just might be harder to find good videos with other presidents, but they all do this when, when held accountable and in public. And it's a tough thing, right? I mean, from the president's point of view, it's like, man, the amount of information any president has to keep in their mind at any given time, the world leaders they're supposed to know in their heads and like, that's really hard, you know? And so imagine you're the president and you've just been called on something that, you know, that. Uh, something that's not true. Maybe you didn't maliciously make it up. It's just how it looked to you and you mixed stuff up or whatever. And now you're on TV in front of 50 million people and being called on it. Like, yeah, that's not easy. You know, how many people do you know who the first time they're called on something go, oh crap, is that wrong? Man, I'm sorry. Uh, that's what I was told, but I've, I've, I'll look into that. That's not easy to do when 50 million people are watching you. You know, it's a lot of pressure. Now he does it like every day and I'm not okay with that. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> so, but what I want to speak to here is what a what, uh, team was saying about how exhausting it can be. When you're holding someone accountable, it's very often like you're wrestling a greased pig, a big one, like a 300 pound greased pig. And to me, the only way change is going to happen in our world is when as exhausting as it is, when the person's going through the list of the 100 excuses and then when they get to the end, start over, to muster that energy to end it. And every time a journalist tries to corner a politician with something with, with really quite an impotent question, like, well, how are the Amer- how is the American people supposed to trust you when blah, blah, blah? It's not, it's not the most incisive question. I get that it's incisive for them. But look at the evidence it's not enough it's not enough and this very thing happens in businesses everywhere because precisely i would assert they don't want to shame the other person because they wouldn't want to be shamed themselves so there's a collusion of let's not make this too uncomfortable let's not make this too uncomfortable and so the journalist doesn't say Mr. President, you've completely failed to answer the question. I'm at a loss of what to do next. Do you know how awkward that would be? That, and that journalist might get fired because of the corporation that owns them. So that might happen. Or worse yet, they might lose access to uh, either answering the questions or you know, at a later date uh, be able to book them on a show or something like that. So. There you go. There you go. So if I were a journalist right now, who was had access to the president, I would be wrestling with a very difficult question. Mm-hmm. And that would be, do I really pin this guy to the wall and risk my job, my livelihood, because I might never work in journalism again, you know, being able to put food on the table for my family. Any journalist who has access to a politician who is regularly lying, and it's more than just him, who's not wrestling with that question easy. They're putting comfort ahead of truth. That's fine. They can choose to do that. But there's no argument that that's what's going on. And I would assert that the job of journalism is to put truth above everything else. Therefore, they're not doing their job. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.